But we're going we're gonna to pick up where we left off in Colossians last week. And we're going to be in chapter 1, so you can go ahead and turn there. If you're using a blue Bible, it provides on page 983. And really what we're looking at, we, we looked at last time, was Paul and Timothy's prayer on behalf of the Colossians, their continual prayer on behalf of them. And this morning we're going to look at what essentially is the conclusion to this prayer in verses 12 through 14 in chapter 1. And as we saw in verses 3 through 8, just for a little context, Paul first and foremost expressed his and Timothy's gratitude to God for God's effectual saving work among the Colossians through the power of the gospel which was evidenced by their faith in Christ and their love for the church. And then as we saw last week in verses 9 through 12, Paul relayed to the Colossians his and Timothy's continual prayer request to God on their behalf, which was this, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will through his word and thus grow in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they would be equipped and empowered and led to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. But here, in uh, it was verses uh, ten or nine through twelve, we saw he said, "Fill with the knowledge of God's will, so that you live a life worthy of the Lord." And then he mentions four general qualities that characterize a life that's pleasing to the Lord: bearing fruit in every kind of good work. In other words, practicing all forms of righteousness in obedience to God's will. Two, increasing in our personal knowledge of God. Three, being continually strengthened by God's power for endurance and patience. And four, continually giving thanks to God with joy. And it's this last quality is what we're going to focus on this morning because that's essentially what he goes on to elaborate on in verses 12 to 14. And it obviously is a perfect time for us as we are preparing for this national holiday of, of ours, Thanksgiving, that we might celebrate it rightly as it was initially intended. And so, guys doing the slides in the back, we're just going to skip some stuff. So, see on your toes. <laughs> so here's, here's the deal. So giving thanks to God with joy. Continually giving thanks to the Father with joy. Scripture clearly states that giving thanks to God is a part of God's will for us. Again, we say, you want to know the will of God? Well, he's made it known in his word. And he actually explicitly states on more than one occasion that it is his will that we give thanks to him. Paul wrote in his first letter to the church of the Thessalonians, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then he wrote in his letter to the Christians in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul wrote this, giving, that giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ is the result of being filled with the Spirit. It's evidence of being filled with, led by the Spirit. And here in Colossians, we read that giving thanks with joy to the Father is the result of being filled with the knowledge of God's will. So it's God's will that we give him Thanks, And in this passage in Colossians, we've seen that giving thanks to God characterizes the life of someone who is living in a manner worthy of him, in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now in verses 12 through 14, we will consider the reasons the Apostle Paul gives here as to why we ought to continually give thanks to God with joy. 
Now, verses 12 through 14, let's read them. Picking up on that statement, giving thanks to the Father, and here are the reasons, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So as you can see, Paul explains that we ought to continually give thanks with joy to the Father for what? Our salvation. Our salvation. For what God the Father has lovingly done for us in Christ. And Paul points to three gracious works of God on our behalf in verses 12 and 13. And then in verse 14, he points to the basis for these works. And so the first gracious work of God on our behalf that Paul mentions is this. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So what is this inheritance? He doesn't say specifically right here, but the answer from the context of Colossians and really kind of the continual message in the New Testament is that this inheritance is the glorious kingdom of God. It's the glorious kingdom of God. In the Gospel of Matthew, read that Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. Jesus said that his disciples would not only inherit eternal life, but also that they would inherit the earth. And Jesus said that when he returns to the earth in glory, he will gather before himself all the nations upon the earth, and he will say to those individuals who are his, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And in Revelation, we read the extent, read of the extent of this kingdom inheritance. We just, well, some growth groups are maybe almost done with our study, and the last study in our Revelation study is verses, or chapters 21 and 22, the conclusion, the grand finale. And in our study in Revelation, we've read of the extent of this kingdom inheritance. It begins with Christ's reign over the earth for a thousand years, during which we're told Satan will be bound, sin will be subdued, peace will be prevalent, and we will be glorified in reigning with Christ over the earth. Well, that sounds wonderful. And then the Lord Jesus will execute his final judgment at the great white throne. And then sin and death will be no more. And Christ will deliver the kingdom to God the Father who will make all things new. And here's a description of that kingdom. In Revelation 21, 1 through 7, this, this transition of Christ giving to the kingdom up to God the Father, death and sin are no more. John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, literally will inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. And then in chapter 22 in Revelation, we read this. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. That is in this holy city of Jerusalem, now upon the earth. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. So this is the inheritance of the saints and lights. And we who are in Christ, Paul says, we have been qualified to share in this inheritance. So how have we been qualified? Paul doesn't say right here, but later in this letter, he says the following. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. And I would suggest that this, the new birth, is what Paul had in mind when he says that the Father qualified us. He made you alive in Christ Jesus. He made us, to say that he qualified us, it means that he made us suitable for his everlasting kingdom. He fitted us for it. So he gave us spiritual life. And after all, if we recount the words of Christ, he said that unless one is born again that is born of the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of god so what does any man or woman need they need to be born again they need spiritual life that is a gift of god that come to all and is given to all who believe on the lord jesus christ so he's made us suitable in christ and when the father caused us to be born again he gave us a new heart and put a new spirit within us so that we began to fear the Lord. We came to believe his word and know him as he truly is. We came to understand what is good and right and true. And we stopped suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And we're able to truly discern what's pleasing to him. Because he has made us alive. And by causing us to be born again, the Father has made us new persons in Christ. Destined to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And in this way, he has made us suitable to inherit his everlasting kingdom along with Christ. That's the new birth. That's the first gracious work of God that Paul mentions that we ought to continually give thanks to him with joy for. And then the second one he mentions is this. Verse 13. The father has delivered us from the domain of darkness. So the term darkness here, what's he referring to? He's not referring to literal darkness, right? Figuratively, he's referring to spiritual and moral darkness. In other words, evil. And in the case here, Paul is using it even more specifically to refer to the devil and his angels. That is, those whom he also refers to as the cosmic powers 
over this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then we have this term domain. And what does that make you think of when you hear the word domain? Do you think territory? Like a realm? Geographical kind of location? This word, this Greek word that's translated as domain here basically means this. It refers to power. Power. And that is specifically the power to command, to control, and to govern. And in a number of places in the New Testament, this word is translated as authority. Authority. And so when Paul is speaking of what's translated as the domain of darkness, he's really referring to the power of darkness in this passage. And he's essentially referring to the controlling or ruling power of Satan. And what is implied in this statement is that before God delivered us, those who are in Christ, we were held captive under the power of Satan and driven to conform to and carry out his desires. Do you remember what Jesus said to the religious leaders who were desiring to kill him? You have your father, the devil. Your desire is to do his will. In Ephesians 2, and we've heard this, uh, testified of this morning, in verses 1 through 5, Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Not just dead and doing nothing, spiritually dead and following Satan. Under his influence, driven by his power. The spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. So if it weren't for the grace and mercy of God, we would still be under the tyrannical rule of Satan. But God rescued us. While we still live in this fallen world, we are no longer of the world. So he didn't remove us from what is considered Satan's domain. He's considered the ruler of this world. But he has made us alive and liberated us from the power and control of Satan while we remain in this world, no longer of the world, but we are of Christ with new life in him. While the world is held captive in spiritual darkness under the power of Satan, Paul says we've been delivered in Christ. And so if you are in Christ, then the devil and the, his angels, they have no power over you anymore. The Christian need not fear demons. The Christian need not fear Satan. He is rendered powerless because you have been made alive and delivered out from under his rule and given life in Christ. 
And the one whom Jesus referred to as the ruler of this world, Satan, no longer has any rule over your life if you are in Christ. And so then the question is, who does? God delivered you out from this tyrannical rule. No longer does Satan have any power over your life. Who does now? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. And that leads us to what we see as the third gracious work of God on our behalf that Paul mentions here. The Father has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Now, as was the case with the term that was translated as domain, right? Makes us think of a realm or a territory. Well, when we look at the word kingdom, we also kind of, maybe that conjures up the same idea. You think of a a realm, a territory. But this word also can be used to refer to power, royal power. And so referring to the royal power of Christ. And what Paul is saying is that the Father has, for those in Christ, he has moved us out from under the rule of Satan and placed us under the rule of Christ. That's what that statement means. Delivered from the domain of darkness, the rule of, you know, the tyrannical rule of Satan, out from under that power, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. That means placed us into, under the authority and power of Christ. Thanks to the Father, we've come to know Christ as, personally, as the King of Kings. And we have in him the ability and opportunity to live as his subjects here and now, while we wait for him to return and establish his kingdom over the earth. So we don't just get pardoned or released from the power of darkness, given new life, and just wait around and not live lives under the rulership of Christ, under the king, king, uh, royal reign of Christ. We are given a purpose in this life. He has left us here to live as his citizens, his subjects here and now, as we wait for the arrival of his kingdom. And so you see, everyone on this earth ultimately lives in subjection to one of two rulers. It's ultimately everybody's station in life. They're in subjection to one of two rulers. They're either in subjection to the rule of Satan or subjection to the rule of Christ. And though we were born under the tyrannical rule of Satan, God caused us to be born again into or unto the righteous and benevolent rule of Christ. So we were born under the rule of Satan, and God caused us to be born again unto the rule of Christ, who continually supplies us with grace and intercedes on our behalf. And then we have verse 14. Here's what Paul mentions in this verse. He mentions how all of these gracious works of the Father on our behalf are possible in the first place. He says that the basis for God making us suitable for his kingdom, delivering us from Satan's power and placing us under the rule of Christ, the basis for all of that is due to Christ's redemptive work on our behalf. Look at verse 14. He says, in Christ Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know what that word redemption means? It refers to making a slave or a captive free by payment of a ransom. 
making a slave or captive free by payment of a ransom, released from a captive condition by means of a ransom payment. And Paul clarifies what he is speaking of here when he includes the phrase, the forgiveness of sins. Our sins created an insurmountable barrier between us and God. Sin separates man from God. And what we earn for our sins, the Bible says, the wages of sin is what? Death. What we have earned for our sins is eternal death and judgment under the wrath of God because he's holy. He is righteous and good. But Jesus Christ came into the world to offer himself up on the cross and to receive that wrath of God that we deserve. The wrath of God towards the sins of all those who would believe on him. And he died on the cross in the place of all who would believe on him. And here's what he accomplished on the cross. He paid the full penalty to God. You say, what's the ransom to? It's not to Satan. The ransom payment is to God. Christ paid the penalty to God for the sins of all who would believe in him. And by doing that, he has secured for us release from that penalty, from that guilt, from that condemnation, and what is destined for those who remain under that condemnation. He has released us from that penalty and from our guilt before God, making it possible for God to pardon us. You see, if God just said, I'll forget your sins, I'll just forgive you, and nothing's done with the sin, then he's unjust, he is not good. It, it compromises the very holy character of God. But because of what Christ did by purchasing us, by being our ransom to God, God with our sins paid in full by Christ, can actually pardon our sins and release us from this guilt. Jesus is our ransom. And it's because of Christ's redemptive work on our behalf that, as Paul says, God is able to free us from the tyrannical rule of Satan and make us suitable for his everlasting kingdom. These are some of the realities of your salvation. And if you remember, when we read the letters in the New Testament, time and time again, give thanks to God for what? For the salvation that he's given to you in Christ, all that he's done for you in Christ. And I like what one commentator says just to summarize this passage. He says, Christ's death on our behalf paid the price to redeem us. On that basis, God forgave our sins granted us an inheritance, delivered us from the power of darkness, and made us subjects of Christ's kingdom. Those wonderful truths should cause us to give thanks to God continually. So let that be part of your thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for all this wonderful food, for this beautiful weather, for my family. Many blessings, they are endless, endless. And that's his common grace. Because he's a wonderful, good creator, created all things. Every good and perfect gift comes from him, certainly. But never forget his special grace bestowed on you in Christ. If you are indeed in Christ, give thanks to him continually for your salvation. Because if apart from his saving work on your behalf, apart from Christ's work, where would you be? What would you be doing? 
You'd be in bondage, captive to your sin. You'd be carrying out the desires of the chief enemy of God and living in rebellion against him to your own eternal destruction. Yet God showed you mercy. He showed you grace in Christ. So let's pray on that thought. Father, we, we do give you thanks, Lord, for your abundant mercy, your infinite grace, which you lavished upon us through the work of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for, for sending him into the world, and thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into the world and willingly laying down your life to, to pay the penalty for our sins, that we, through faith in you, might have life in your name, might be pardoned and reconciled to God. Thank you that you are risen and interceding on our behalf and that you are coming again to establish your reign upon the earth and we have that inheritance to look forward to. Father, keep us from forgetting the, the wonders of our salvation and the extent of your grace and mercy towards us and help us to continue in that grace and to extend it towards others knowing that we deserve no good thing from you. And as we've heard this morning, help us to, to love others as you've loved us. Help us to extend grace to others as you extend grace to us and to be patient with one another as you are patient with us and to be merciful. May we glorify you in this way. And Father, we also pray for those in this room who are not in Christ, who, who have never come to repentance and, and belief in the gospel and place their faith in the only Savior of sinners that is available and that is your son the lord jesus christ lord we pray for their salvation that you might give them understanding give them life they may, they might believe and be saved and have forgiveness of sins and life in his name that they might be released from captivity to their own sinful desires and and under the power of satan lord that they would be released from that and placed under the rule of your son lord jesus we thank you for your redemptive work on our behalf. Thank you for being our ransom. May we honor you with our lives and continually give thanks to God, our Father, through you, our Savior. Amen.